Thanks, you guys. That was really great. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I said this before. My name is Dana, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to get a chance to meet you uh, during coffee. Um, I want to start this morning by telling you about uh, my friend Matthew. Not many 12-year-olds are deeply committed to studying the Bible. They're just not, (laughs) right? But Matt was. I met Matt when I was 16 years old. I was fresh off my very first, uh, like, leadership summer camp, and, um, and I was helping to lead the junior high youth group at my church. And Matt came in, grade 7, 12 years old, so excited to be there. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a kid so excited to be at youth group. And not in the way that was, like, too eager or a little bit awkward. He just was genuinely glad to be in that place. He threw himself into everything, every song, every game, every activity. And here was the really amazing thing about Matthew. Every single week, he brought a different friend with him or a group of different friends. Like they would come by the van load with him. And it was so incredible, a different kid every week. They came from different parts of town. They had different interests and hobbies. And he seemed to be friends with all of them. Like 14 years in full-time ministry, and I have never seen anything like that in somebody that young. And they all wanted to be there, and he loved having them. Well, we got to know each other because he approached me. He was concerned about the small group discussion time that we were having at youth group, and I was his leader. And he was concerned because there wasn't enough time he felt, to get deep enough into the conversation. Right, like he's 12 years old, right? That's what you have to keep in mind, 12 years old. Maybe he was 13 by then. And so, you know, I told I said, well, okay, like I'll hold an extra small group, like an extra discussion time at my house if you bring the kids. And he did. Every single Sunday until I went away to university. I have no idea what we talked about, <laughs> but I remember all of their faces. And Matt held this same like, passionate, curious, reverent faith through his whole life. That thing that like, pretty often we tend to complicate it and dress it up and fret over, he just got it right. He just loved God, and he loved people, and he loved getting to introduce them to each other. And I've been thinking a lot about Matt this week as I've been working on this message, wrapping up our Kingdom Stories series. We've been studying the stories, which we sometimes call parables, uh, that are in Matthew chapter 13 in the Bible. There are seven of them, so it's been about two months that we've been in this. We've been digging into these simple little stories that wrap up or veil some powerful truths about the Kingdom of God. Remember that? We've talked about why Jesus used stories when he was teaching. And he tells us that he uses them because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are not given to everyone right then. Not everyone, he says, is ready to hear them. 
And so instead of standing up in front of the crowds, expanding these mystical cosmic truths about the kingdom of heaven, he just told these little stories. And the stories kind of fall on everyone who's listening like seed falling on the ground. And depending on the type of soil that they land on, which is to say, depending on how ready the hearts of the listeners might be, the seeds either take root and grow, or they don't. And that's what Jesus wants. If someone's not ready to hear, he wants the seed to just roll away, just bounce off. And if they are ready to hear, he wants the roots to grow deep and strong. And so we've been deep in the parables all summer long. And I've been thinking about my friend Matthew this week because once I went away to university, I got involved in other things. I had other ministry opportunities. And if I'm being honest, that junior high small group, it kind of faded in my mind. I had done way flashier, way bigger, way more important things during my time in ministry, and it was a little bit like this seed that got planted, and then I just forgot about it. But Matthew died last Sunday morning. And so I have been watching, which is why I brought the Kleenex, so I've been watching all these tributes collect this week on the memorial site, on his Facebook page, and my mom gave a eulogy on Friday at his funeral, and she got to read these tributes that were sent in from friends and family overseas, And you know, this young man touched an incredible number of people. Just mind-boggling. He helped people. He listened to them. (laughs) He just drove them places. (laughs) You know, he bought a van when he was 21 so he could fit more people to drive them where they needed to go. Who does that? He was a youth leader himself for many years. And he invested in the lives of so many kids. And he really was like that parable about the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven was planted in him at an early age. And it grew over the course of his lifetime into this huge tree and sheltered a lot of birds. And I find myself so deeply honored that for a couple of years, I got to sit with Matt every week and talk about the scripture. Talk about the kingdom of heaven. What a blessing. What a gift that for that little bit of time, I got to be involved in planting that seed. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. That was a little bit emotional. Have you ever had the experience at church where you're sitting there in the back row with your arms crossed, minding your own business, right? Okay. (laughs) I know, I'm not always up here. Sometimes I'm there. Have you ever had the experience where you're minding your own business and the speaker starts talking directly to you? Right? Like whatever it is they're saying, you feel like they just opened up and read your journal or your mind. (laughs) And now they're just sharing that with everyone. It's so unnerving. That's a really weird feeling. Sometimes you feel embarrassed by that. Sometimes you feel mad about it. And I just really want you to know that we don't do that. (laughs) Nobody is actually reading your diary before they preach a sermon. That's not what we're doing. But sometimes you're sitting there and you hear something and you just feel like, how do you know that about me? 
How do you know that about my life? Well, here's the thing. Kingdom truths, the kind of truths that Jesus is wrapping up in a parable and scattering like seed, these things are more true than anything else. They're true for everyone across time, across cultures. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about is the ultimate reality. It's the thing that was true before time began and the thing that is going to be true way after time ends. It's outside our ability to grasp even how far it is. But those kingdom truths, because they're so foundational, they can interpret our lives. They give meaning to the things that we're experiencing. They shed new light on old problems. They answer questions we didn't even know we were asking. That's a huge part of the reason that Jesus is telling these parables. Because his disciples and his friends and the people who are following him, they need a way to understand what's going on in the world around them. A way to interpret their lives. And he wanted them to do that through kingdom stories. Can you remember all the parables we've talked about this summer? I know Tom made us like yell them out last week. I'm not going to do that. Um, But we are going to review them. So uh, do you remember the parable of the sower? This farmer who's scattering seed that lands on four types of soil, right? The seed that landed on the path got eaten by birds. It never grew. The seed that landed on rocky soil sprung up quickly, but then it withers when the hot sun comes out because it doesn't have any roots. The seed that lands in the thorns grows up, but the thorns grow up with it and they choke it so it doesn't bear any fruit. And then the seed that lands in good soil, well, that grows up strong and it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Do you remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds? Where there's a farmer who sows wheat in his field, but then an enemy sneaks in at night and sows weeds in among it. Weeds that look so much like wheat that you can't tell the difference between them. And the servants, they want to go out and pull up all the weeds right away as soon as they know. But the farmer's worried that they're going to rip up and hurt the wheat as they do it. And so he makes them wait, and he lets everything grow up together, and then at the harvest, he sorts out the good and the bad. Do you remember the parable of the mustard seed? Where a farmer plants a tiny, tiny seed, kind of like a dandelion, in his garden. And it grows, and it spreads out, and it becomes a huge bush, tree thing. And the birds come and make nests in its branches. Or the parable of the leaven. We had like tables up here about a month ago with bread dough. (laughs) Where a woman mixes yeast into 60 pounds of flour until all of it is leavened. Or the parable of the treasure in the pearl, where a man stumbles upon a treasure in a field, and a merchant finally finds a pearl of great value, and both of them sell everything they have to buy what they found. Or the parable of the fish in the net, where the fishermen pull in all different kinds of fish together, 
And then afterwards, they sit down and sort out the good and the bad. Or just last week, the parable of the treasures, old and new, where teachers of the law who learn about the kingdom of God have old and new treasures to bring out of their storehouses. It's a lot of stories, isn't it? That's good, I think, because we're always looking for meaning in life. And so we need a lot of stories. (laughs) Which one of these stories gives meaning to your life? Which story interprets something for you? Which one tells you the truth about your experience? The very first week of this series, I was talking about the parable of the sower. And I was, I was highlighting the fact that in that story, Jesus is not at all concerned with the fact that the seed doesn't grow everywhere. He's not concerned with the fact that it doesn't get in the soil. He just lets that happen. He's non-anxious. <laughs> in fact, the parable, rather than being about how to change the soil type and jam the seed in the ground, right? Like, that's what we would expect. But it's not about that. He doesn't even say that at all. He talks instead about wrapping it up like a parable and throwing it out so that if people are ready, they hear it, and if they're not, it rolls away. You don't force it. You sow the seed, of course, far and wide, at every opportunity. Talk about God all the time, but do it in a parable. Do it in a way that lets people walk away if they're not ready and makes them curious if they are. Okay, well, anyway, after the service where I was talking about that, two women in our congregation were talking, and one of them said, I have never heard that before. Never heard that Jesus doesn't, like, that it's okay with him that we don't force that seed into the ground. And she said, my adult children are not following Jesus, and I'm so worried about that. And I spend so much time trying to figure out how can I make them get it. But maybe this is the other way. Maybe this is a different way to think about it, and that's so freeing. I was so delighted to hear that story. You know, because that's exactly what the parables should do, what scripture in general should do. It should help us see our own lives and what we're doing and then shift it a little bit. It should help us see not in the confines of the world that we live in, which is the world that says, I must make my children follow Jesus. Right? If I don't find a way, they will never know God. It's not like that. Instead, it shifts it to see in the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the reality that says, trust Jesus with them. Teach the way he does, relaxed, non-anxious, present, patient. When we actually start letting the words of God and Jesus tell us what's true about our own lives, that's a game changer. That's when we can start living in the kingdom of heaven right here on earth. I want you this morning to have the chance to hear from a couple of people who have been letting the scripture interpret their lives over the past little while. So, Leslie, will you come up here and join me? Um, Leslie has been visiting Creston this summer, and uh, she's hoping to move here in the fall with her husband, 
We're very excited about that. And um, last week, Leslie approached me after the service, and she said, I want to tell you about the way that the parables have been interpreting my life, which is exactly what I wanted to hear. So you have a seat right there. I'm going to sit here. (laughs) And we're going to chat a little bit. You can pull that right out. And Olin will turn it on for you. Let's see. Are you there? Oh, Close. There we go. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us what parable you want to talk about this morning. The sower and the seed. Okay. Excellent. It's a little treat for me. Good. Um, And what part of your life does that parable remind you of? Well, um, in 1996, I had been a Christian about 15 years, and I was getting hungry for God, more of him, right? Okay. So I decided to fly over to Hawaii to the University of the Nations. It's one of the largest Christian universities in the world, uh, run by Youth with a Mission. And they do a discipleship training course. It's a three-month, very intense course. I loved it, but it was like people came in from all over the world teaching us every week, um, teaching and imparting and praying for us. And uh, I felt like I had probably grown about seven years and three months. So <laughs> I amazing. got what I asked for. Yeah. Uh, and anyways, we had an outreach after that to Ukraine. Now, the Ukrainian people had just shifted to a democratic society. they have been under right. communism for 70 years. Wow. Um, also, that uh, nuclear disaster there at Chernobyl yeah. was about 10 years before I got there. And yeah. our team was all split up. And just a few of us, maybe 19 of us, went into this little tiny town there. Okay. They had never seen Americans. Oh, <laughs> they, I'm not kidding. So okay. the first day I was on the street with a, a, a little girl about 14, and she was African-American. They'd never seen anybody with black skin. Wow. So they came up and started talking to us. And within maybe 15 minutes, I was standing there preaching the gospel on the street to about 50 people. Wow. And the rest of the team sort of came alongside, and we were praying for them. Um, they were, it was like they were weeping yes. because of the love of God we were sharing. Yeah. And, um, like, mm. God was so powerful. Um, it was mind-blowing, and it didn't stop there. So much huh. happened on that trip. Yeah. Um, a little blind girl was healed. Wow. Um, she's so, it was amazing. But at the end of the trip... I was thinking, who's going to come and disciple these people? Right. Like it's a little tiny obscure town. Um, what's going to happen to them? And I was, I was disturbed by that yeah. a lot. Well, about a week and a half ago, huh. a friend of mine that was on that team was contacting me, and he was in Ukraine, and he was telling me we did such a mighty work there and that Mm. people were walking strong in their faith the little blind girl was doing so well now she's like 20 something right Right. yes so i was shocked and happy oh my goodness Mm -hmm. 
That's such good, it's such good news, right? You don't expect oh. to hear that. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. it was super huh. good news. Yeah. And so as you've been reflecting on that story for a little bit, for a week or so, mm-hmm. like how does the parable help you interpret that story? Well, here we were sowing seed, yeah. and we just really didn't know what kind of soil it was landing on. Yeah. We knew it was receptive, but we didn't know if, you know, all the troubles they were dealing with would right. just like it would be like that hot sun coming down and burning it up and then they go walk away right Right. yeah but i was obviously wrong (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'm glad i was wrong because god was tending the seed he was growing the seed he was sending in yeah missionaries all along and i after 20 years there he was. He'd done his thing. So great. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lovely. So, Leslie, what um, what encouragement would you have for us this morning? If you could tell us anything, what would you like to say? Well, I would say your work is never in vain. Mm. Even just hearing you talk about the mom, I've felt like that at times. And you know what? Yeah. Uh, if you're doing... God's work and with him you're going to bear fruit that's all there is to it so keep on doing it trust God don't doubt him that's good yeah did you guys get that trust God don't doubt him (laughs) thank you so much I really appreciate having you thanks Leslie that's awesome isn't that great Man, it's such a great example. Sometimes there are things that you did a long time ago, right? And it, and it was really significant. You felt like, oh, that was really important. But then you can't keep tabs on it. People grow up and move away. You can't stay in the country or the town where you were. You don't know. And there's no way to know what's happening to the seeds that you planted. And the truth is, it's, it's unusual To have someone phone you up 20 years later and say, guess what? It worked. Like, that doesn't always happen. We don't always get the benefit of that. But the parable helps us know, helps us trust that although not every seed will bear fruit, the ones that do will be amazing. Thanks so much, Leslie. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm so glad to, for you to hear from this next person. Uh, I met John early in August, the week I was preaching about the treasure and the pearl, and it might have been his first week here, I don't know, <laughs> first or second. Anyway, he shook my hand after the service very enthusiastically, and he shook his head and he said, wow, that story, that parable, that was just the exact story of my whole life. That's, that's, quite the, that's quite the comment after a sermon. And his life is a great story. And so John's going to share it with you, which wasn't easy, let me tell you. Come on up here, John. Um, I knew that week I wanted John to come and share with you. And so I made sure to check that he had filled out the welcome card, and he had. And then I went to look for it. And do you think I could find it anywhere? No, I couldn't, not anywhere. And uh, Tom didn't know how to get in touch with him, and Terry didn't know, and he didn't know anybody else at the church yet so I kind of gave up and then on Tuesday 
I walked into the Indian restaurant to pick up some takeout for supper, and who jumps up from his table and comes running over to say hi to me? This guy. (laughs) Woohoo! So uh, that is really, really exciting. I'm really glad that you did. And I'm going to give you a microphone, John. Yeah, you're very tall. Yeah, you can just pull that up. Here you go. Is that okay with you? Perfect. Good morning. Well, thank you for that response. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I haven't done this for a few years. I used to do this uh, when I was working, and I I always felt a lot of apprehension for the week before I had to come up and, and do a presentation. So when I was first asked to do this, um, I said, oh, gee, I don't know if I want to do that. I told myself I'd never do this again. But then I thought, well, this is my new path to Christianity, and I have to share it. So I'm 69 years old physically, and spiritually I'm less than two months old. And what a difference. Um, I turned my life over to the Lord. And for years, Christianity surrounded me. My three sisters had repented years before as young adults. I've seen this. I've seen a change in them. I didn't recognize it. One of my brother-in-laws and a nephew are both pastors. But I thought, well, what do they know, right? <laughs> I know it. i got it figured out. I'm making lots of money. They're, they're not, so I must be doing something right. Two of my daughters from an estranged relationship had been raised Christians from an early age. So I wasn't part of that. They had moved away. Throughout my life, I resisted the calls from Jesus. My heart was hard, and I was a very stubborn man, as Pastor Dana can attest. She had to be very persistent in having to tell me, tell my story today. I thank you for your persistence. I was constantly searching for something, never really satisfied always restless and on the move. My wife always said, you have to find your peace. And I said, well, what is peace? I don't know. I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. I never bought materialistic things, but I tried to find things that made me happy. And they did for a while. So where was it? It eluded me, right? And some of you may have felt the same thing in your prior lives. Last spring, my wife and I traveled to Saskatoon to visit her elderly parents. Seniors looking after seniors. I took the time to visit my nephew, the pastor. We had a nice visit, and then he asked if it was okay to say a prayer. I thought, sure, why not? I always took that very casually. You go ahead. I'll listen. After the prayer, he handed me a book called By This Name. Of course, I knew it was full of religious thoughts. I had no idea what faith was. So left it on the seat of the truck on our journey back to British Columbia. So it sat on my desk. It laid idle for several weeks. I was afraid to read it. I had not read a Bible in years. And when I did, only found it boring. Did not make any sense to me. What did all those words mean? That didn't apply to me. I'm not an atheist. And knew deep down there was a God. My mother told me that. 
and I listened a little bit, but I was a teenager, and then I married young, and I got on with life. My fears were, what would my friends and non-Christian relatives think if I succumbed to becoming religious? <laughs> and besides, I was a good guy, right? I drank a little bit. I tried to subdue my swearing and lived my life in a fashion that would be good enough to get into the good graces of God. That's what I thought. What's the big deal anyways? I finally got the courage. I picked up the book off my desk and started to read. I have this thing I call a man cave where I control everything as long as my wife doesn't enter the room. <laughs> I would read only a few pages at a time to totally absorb the context because it was amazing. As a result, I had many unanswered questions. So the Lord put somebody into my path. I confided with my friend Daryl, who's sitting right here, who along with his wife Paula, who's sitting there also, have walked with the Lord for most of their adult lives. When I first met them, I thought, there's something different about this guy. He looks like a good old beer-drinking kind of guy. But, you know, there was something peaceful about him. And he did. He threw out the seed, and he snuck in the Lord's name. That was a few <laughs> months ago, and we were both down in the desert, down in uh, Brago Springs. And he did plant a seed. So as I started reading the book... I told Daryl I was investigating my future in faith, okay? And he was smart, according to what Dana said. He never pushed me, and he was there to answer my many, many, many questions. Well, what about this? What about that? How come this, and why not that? He offered, offered me positive words of encouragement, some reading material, and always being careful not to scare me off. Hey, in the years gone by, I was good at turning down anyone that the Lord Jesus had sent my way. I had the fastest running shoes in the neighborhood. Thank you, Daryl and Paula, for your support and being here today for my testament. Over the next few weeks, I had still not picked up a Bible. I wanted to first better understand where this new path leading to the Lord would take me. I also wanted to have a better understanding of how to read the Bible. As I continued on reading my book by this name, was the name of the book, I came to page 260, which doesn't mean anything to you here, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it meant something to me when I read it, which contained the following words from the Bible, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are powerful words, and they, they sunk into me. Jesus said he is the only way to God. His word is the only truth. Eternal life can only be found in him. Eternal life? Man, these words shouted out loud to me. I thought about how God had created the heavens and the earth. I was always fascinated with the fact that space never ends. Never, never ends. Have we ever thought about that? How it could drive you crazy, right? <laughs> Just thinking about that. I said to myself, if space never ends and God created it, then surely eternal life is forever also. Now, it doesn't end after a year. It doesn't end, well, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go home. That doesn't work that way. 
what side did I want to be on? That was the question in my mind. Did I win, want to be on the winning team or did I want to be on the loser team that I was on for decades of my life? Did I want to be with the Lord God Almighty or to continue to flounder in my old ways that I've been accustomed to for decades? Over the next few days, these words, eternal life, played over and over in my mind day and night. I called my mentor, my friend Daryl. I said, Paul, is Daryl around? Is he busy? Yeah, he's hiding from you. <laughs> but he'll come to the phone. And asked him how I could achieve eternal life. Did I have to go to church? What was there? Some special form you fill out? What do we do? He told me to just pray to Jesus. Tell him I believed in him and that he had risen from the dead and that I was seeking a path to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's easy, right? That's, that's not a problem. Some hesitation. Am I doing the right thing? What will my friends think? How would my wife react? We never really had deep discussions. I know she had faith. And through this whole thing, I found out how just how strong her faith was. Because she was the one that said, I pray to the Lord every day. I pray for you. It looks like he's touched you. So she's turned out to be one of my best supporters. A few days later, I was back in that man cave. That's my private sanctuary. Watching a series on Netflix called The Bible. Now, it came to the scene of the crucifixion. Now, I read about the crucifixion and thought, yeah, that's a, something I wouldn't want to go through. But I watched it, and I seen, and I started to cry. As I realized the pain Jesus has suffered for me in forgiving my sins. He felt that pain that was inflicted upon him just for us. The next morning I was up at 5 a.m. I'm usually up early anyways because then I know my wife's not coming into the man cave that early. <laughs> As I had a siding job that had to be finished before it got too hot outside, we were doing the siding the house. Something urged me to go into my man cave and I started to read my book again. I cannot remember what I had read, but the impact of what Jesus had done for me hit me at that instant. All alone in my garage, I knelt down and prayed to Jesus, asking him to forgive me for all my sins. And then told him I believed in him. That he rose from the dead, and I would like the opportunity to become part of the kingdom of heaven and enjoy eternal life with him. Within minutes, I felt a warm, tingly sensation throughout my body. I'm sure many of you here have felt that same thing. This, I truly believe, was the influence of the Holy Spirit and that Jesus had heard my prayers. He listened to me. I'm sure many of you here today, as I've already mentioned, have felt the same spirit inside of you. And I can feel it several times a week now when I'm praying. The other night I couldn't sleep and I said, Jesus, help me. And in a few minutes, had a warm, tingly feeling. And next thing, I woke up, and it was 5 o'clock. <laughs> if I can only influence one person in my lifetime to become a, savior, become a believer, my life will have been complete. Thank you, Jesus, 
you are my best friend now and for eternity, and I love you. Mm-hmm. And thank you for listening to my story. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, John. Isn't that great? The parable of the muster, of the merchant and the pearl really does describe John's story, doesn't it? You have this experience, always looking, always searching, searching for peace, looking for something. He spent his whole life, he says, searching. And then he starts to read this little book, just a little bit at a time. What difference is that going to make? getting more and more excited, but maybe this is what he'd been searching for. What a great perspective on a life spent searching. Thank you. So what about you? Which of these stories stand out to you? Which ones are stuck in your head, right? It's been stuck there for weeks and you can't stop thinking about it. What meaning does that give to your life? As people who follow Jesus, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But that is an unfamiliar kingdom. (laughs) We're kind of in unfamiliar territory there. Because we were, all of us, raised here in the kingdom of the world. So we kind of have to get to know our new kingdom, learn the way things work, how people interact, learn the language sometimes. And most importantly, Learn how to think and feel and see and act like our new king, Jesus. Part of what that means is letting these kingdom stories, in fact, all of the words of God, tell me the truth about myself. It's mind-bending, but we need the scripture to tell us the truth instead of our feelings, instead of our perceptions instead of our own sense of right and wrong. We have to lay all those things down and let Jesus tell us the truth instead. I have to let the stories of the Bible read me, if that makes sense. I let them give meaning to my life. So here's the application for us this morning. First, ask yourself, which of these stories... Which of these parables has God been drawing your attention to? And then, and I know that this is strange, so you just have to hear me out. What I'd like you to do is, strange but practical, get your phone, your smartphone, and record yourself reading that parable. Just record it on your phone. Read it out loud and record it. And then for a few days or even for a few weeks, sit quietly somewhere for about 10 minutes And play that recording of the parable several times. And then sit in silence and let Jesus talk to you about your life. And ask him, what part of my life do you want to talk to me about? How does this parable interpret my life? The recording is just because it can be easier to close your eyes and listen to Jesus if it's playing instead of your reading it. Then I want you to write down what you hear. You might even want to tell someone. I think probably Leslie and John would love to know what you hear. I know that Tom and I would love to know. 
And I just want to be honest with you about something. I'm not great at this. This thing that I'm asking everybody else to do. You'd think I would be. I should be better at it. I've had the chance in my life to spend so much time immersed in Scripture. You'd think it would be easy to keep the kingdom stories at the forefront of my mind, but it's not. And so when my friend Matthew died this last week, I did not jump right to the mustard seed. Right? I just went to grief. And that's okay. I think it's really, really right to grieve. But even before he died, when he was getting sicker over the last few months, I found myself asking God, really wrestling, like, does anything matter? You know, if he is going to die of lung cancer at 34 years old, what difference does anything make? What difference does his life make? What difference did my life make? make with his what was the point of anything if it just gets cut off and that's a very this world um train of thought that i had it was very finite very limited because when i started to read all of those testimonies that were pouring in all these stories about the lives that he touched the people he inspired the way that he served i realized how wrong my doubt was his life really was way too short and his death was tragic and um, there's no way around that but it was incredibly meaningful he planted a lot of seeds in his life he sheltered a lot of birds this young man and he needed a lot of bread dough he searched he searched for the treasure and he sold everything he had for it and that knowledge i mean i miss him right but that knowledge really comforts me it humbles me and i don't like inspired isn't the right word but it rallies my courage or something like it makes me want to try again it makes me want to plant again and see what grows and so it was really fitting and very meaningful for me that Thursday night I was sitting around a table with a group of 12 to 15 year old kids who love God and they love little kids and this group of six they're going to be the teachers for our two and three year old Sunday school class next year what a great thing what a great thing to get the chance to plant seeds in another generation of people who are already wanting to plant seeds themselves. I'm really glad to be part of that kingdom story. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful for your word for the way that you told stories, the way that you led us to faith, led us to yourself. And I pray for my friends here that you would, over the course of the next number of days, bring these stories to life in us. Would you help us see our lives, our world, our interactions through the lens of these stories? Give meaning, deep meaning, to your people through your word. I pray those things in your name.
Amen.